Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson. In this episode, we have Dr. Ian Bennett-Britton, who is a Clinical Research Fellow in Primary Healthcare at the Centre for Academic Primary Care at the University of Bristol. And the paper is Understanding the Benefits and Limitations of Continuous Risk-Based Consultation Peer Review in Out-of-Hours General Practice Qualitative Interview Study. And we know that unwanted variation in clinical practice is an area of increasing interest. So this continuous consultation peer review provides a mechanism to detect and minimise that. I started by asking Ian to tell us a little bit more about what it is, what it involves and how it works in practice. Continuous risk-based consultation peer review is a system of continuously sampling a, um, a group of clinicians consultations and that sample is based on the clinician's clinical risk status. That risk status is um, informed by how long the clinician has been working for the organisation but also their previous performance on this this risk-based consultation peer review system. So they decide how many uh, clinician consultations to sample and that sample is randomly screened by a paid clinical peer review team those, those teams screen loads and loads and loads of these consultations for peer review. And if they see anything that is identified to, identified for learning or any, anything that could be um, something that might be a safety issue, they escalate that to a consensus peer review panel for more detailed um, review of the notes. That consensus peer review panel look at what the clinician has done on their notes and will supply them with some feedback if there's any learning to feedback to them or take the case further if there's any safety issues that they've identified. And then on the basis of that review, they re-triage the clinician's risk status and feed them back into the system so that you can see that that you're going to be able to focus that scarce peer review resource um, where it's most needed on the clinicians that are deemed to be most most of risk or, or have the greatest learning needs. And that cycle will just go round and round and round. Okay. So um, I'll be honest, and it sounds a little bit forbidding from a GP perspective initially, Mm. but it's obviously been Mm. well established in 10 years. And that's why it's going to be, uh, I won't, I won't get you to, uh, we won't preempt the results because obviously you're going to talk a little bit about what you did in your study. Um, Actually, that probably isn't entirely, uh, my first reaction is actually some GPs might react quite badly to that or find it difficult, but that's perhaps not exactly what was found. So tell us a little bit about just what you did very briefly and then tell us what you did find. Sure. So, so we interviewed 20 clinicians, a cross section of 20 clinicians that have worked for a, that work for a uh, out of hours general practice service provider in Southwest England. Um, and we asked them about the benefits and limitations of this system of um, continuous structured risk-based consultation peer review. Um, and, and spoke to them about what their views were on it. Um, and, um, And those clinicians told us about their views of the benefits and limitations of the system. So would you like me to talk about what they thought? Yeah, no, let's go straight on to it and let's find out what the um, well-established system 10 years down the line. So let's hear a little bit about what they felt about it. So, so the clinicians felt uh, felt that the the benefits of the system were really split into into two areas. So, supporting clinician learning um, and also supporting wider systems of quality assurance um, in the in the greater organisation. So, so from the point of view of supporting clinician learning, they 
lots of the clinicians who worked in out of hours, about 90% of them had had previous experience of working in the in-hour se- setting. And, and many of them felt that they weren't actually getting much feedback at all in that setting. And this system allowed them to get some regular feedback, which was really positively received. That feedback really focused on, on two areas. So, so areas of learning, so maybe their blind spots, things that they didn't know that they didn't know or things that had changed um, to help them understand where, where they might, might like to change their practice or things that they might like to consider to do differently. Um, it also, and really importantly, helped them to validate their existing practice. So you were saying previously about how, how people might feel, feel quite worried about a system like this. Actually, a lot of it is really, really supportive. So it's about saying to people, you know what, that was that was exactly right. You should continue doing that. And so much of the way that we work in general practice, we work in clinical isolation on our own in a room. We don't get a lot of feedback about the bits that we're doing well and perhaps the bits that we could do a little bit better. From the point of view of the organisation, it helped um, or, or the interviewees felt that it helped to establish a minimum standard of supervision for clinicians of all different types. Um, and it helped to support that in a, in a structured way that helped support um, the clinical governance structures within that organization. And it also helped to, to encourage a, a learning culture in the organization. So, so many of the clinicians that were interviewed felt that by having a system like this in place, it was showing that learning was really valued and, and that safety was really valued and that, um, and that created a, a cultural or helped to establish a cultural, um, cultural effect within the organization. So some of the, so we had all these these potential benefits, but actually the interviewees identified a number of limitations of a system like this. And so one of the limitations was was some of the differences in the levels of feedback that certain clinicians were getting. So with a system like this, it tends to focus on on perhaps those most in need of support, um, and that tends to be perhaps the less experienced clinicians or, or clinicians that um, have got certain learning needs. And there are lots of other clinicians, even the most experienced clinicians were saying, look, we would value some input on our practice and we would value feedback about how we're getting on from time to time. And so that was one of one of the things that was fed back. The other thing was about how cases were sampled. So the, the um, there's a risk-based sampling. So they decide how many cases they're going to take from each condition based on risk. But actually the, the cases themselves are sampled randomly. And, and so... It, the clinicians, the interviewees were saying, actually, could we have more input perhaps into how these cases are sampled? We know, we know some of the cases that we struggle with um, and could that be factored in? Is there another way of, of making better use of the cases that are sampled? So picking out, being more efficient and picking out learning points. One of the other things, one of the other potential limitations were limitations based on um, when you've got a intervention that's based on clinician notes or, or patient records those notes we know are a subjective representation of what happened in the consultation from the point of view of the clinician. It doesn't necessarily represent exactly what happened. Um, and so there are some potential biases in there, both conscious or unconscious that, that we know about, which may make that a bit harder. Other, other factors that are affected by focusing on patient notes, things like if you're focusing on patient notes, that might make people feel that the patient notes are the most important part of care, whereas actually there are loads of other things that we know are really important, like the number of cases that you're able to get through, the breadth of patients that you're seeing. And we know that notes don't often well, well represent the, the wider factors of a consultation, such as how busy it was on that day and the decisions that you had to take in the context of the shift. Some of the other limitations, so the more contextual things, so so it tended to be that um, clinician experience was an area of, of um, 
an area that people raise. So it tended to be the, the less experienced clinicians that seem to value this more. Um, also, the less experienced clinicians maybe were trained through a similar learning culture. So the um, uh, the younger trainees are used to getting feedback on their practice through their present training culture, whereas perhaps the, the more experienced uh, GPs and other professionals were not so used to those sorts of things. Levels of motivation. So different clinicians just just like this sort of thing more than others. Um, and some some people are more motivated than others with their learning. That said, it came out incredibly strongly in the interviews that that all of those working in primary care are working incredibly hard. And, and it's a, almost a character trait of almost everyone that they're doing their absolute best. And so systems like this need to be need to be supportive they're not they're not supposed to be punitive and that came out very strongly that people needed to recognize that that actually this is a support people are trying to learn people are trying to do their best and these sorts of systems need to be in place to support people finally there was a, one of the limitations identified was was that of learning culture and so so in the same way that an intervention like this can help support learning culture the success of an intervention like this may actually be predicated on the learning culture of an environment. So the, the extent to which an intervention like this may be perceived as supportive or a stressor to clinicians is likely to be a consequence of actually the wider environment that those clinicians are working in. If you receive a, a piece of feedback that says, perhaps you could do this differently next time, or had you thought of doing this differently next time, that's going to be interpreted differently in an environment that's, that's very positive towards learning and, and helping people grow in their practice versus one that maybe would be more punitive and 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 um, be less supportive of, of their, their clinicians. Yeah, that's a fascinating point because it, one, it wouldn't be too, you wouldn't need an awful lot of imagination to imagine how this can be really, you know, you can see how this could be really incredibly positively received and it's very isolating working behind the door on your doors on your own. And certainly at least one of your quotes was from a GP partner, I think, who commented on the fact that, you know, everyone's too busy to start doing peer review feedback on individuals kind of practice without the, all the other difficulties. But it would also be quite easy to imagine how this could be used with a less positive organisation as a punitive, you know, it, it could be very dependent on cultural organisation, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and that's one of the that was one of the bigger questions that was really raised in the study. To what if you're going to do an intervention like this, there are really different uses of interventions that are structured in this way, and so so if you're if you're using it as a as a tool to ensure a minimum standard of safety, um, then it's it's potentially something that you, you would change the way that you would deploy the intervention. So, so you would be perhaps trying to sample less cases, but using triggers to identify cases that are much more likely to be due to a safety event, for example. Whereas actually, if you're using it as a learning tool, you would deploy it in a different way as well. You might, you might sample more cases, you might um, sample more of everyone's consultations so that everyone can have learning. That, that's something that came out in, in the interviews is that actually understanding what it is that you're trying to achieve from intervention like this will really inform the way that it's deployed. Um, it's, it's just a tool to, it's just a, it's, it's, that's, that's part of, of the success of this intervention is understanding what you're using it for. So we found that, um, that using this, that using this structured, um, this structured way of, uh, peer reviewing the consultation notes of, of clinicians, both doctors, nurses, and all of those that work within the primary care setting may help to identify and reduce important differences in the way that clinicians practice or unwarranted variation. 
And that's that's helpful um, because that helps us to, it's only through developing ways of identifying and reducing those kind of differences that we can try and reduce the, the burden of preventable harm that we know that we have in primary care um, and also try and improve the efficiency of, of the care that we're providing, which is to the benefit of everyone. Ian, that's incredibly helpful. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again. Thanks again.